everyone, my name is Deanna and I'm the host of the History Hotline. Welcome to episode number 21. Today's episode, well, as it's Black History Month in America and as this month is dedicated to the little moments in history where Black British and African American or Black American history have combined and collided, today's episode, I thought we'd take a moment to go to a place where I think historically is a point where the most African-Americans descended into the British Isles. And I think it's probably, yeah, a point in history where there were the, the most amount of Americans on British soil who were not here to stay permanently. And that is, of course, during the Second World War. The main and specific focus for this episode will be the Battle of Bamber Bridge, but we'll also be remembering different points during the war where riots took place, um, the Battle of Bamber Bridge being one of them, um, due to racial tensions just really heating up and rising and overflowing, I guess, and creating big riots, uprisings, or even in some cases, violence. Um, and so the Battle of Amber Bridge took place in Lancashire. And I'm happy to announce that because I've been trying to steer away from London-centric histories because a lot of black history that we think about centres around the capital city, which is all well and good. But there were communities of black people all around Britain and at different parts and stages in history. They had different struggles and different, you know, narratives and discourses. And I think they need to be included. And so last week, obviously, with Malcolm X visiting Smethwick in Birmingham, we were in Birmingham. And this week we will be focusing primarily on Lancashire. And if you think about it logically, really, when we were thinking about war, the major cities were not really where army bases were going to be. Um, there weren't going to be an army base in London because it was a big city you know there was a blitz where all the lights literally had to be turned off during the night so that the enemy could not see the fact that it was a big city and bomb it and cause you know the majority of casualties and high numbers of casualties because there were so many civilians and people living in big cities whereas in the countryside it was more spread out and if you dropped a bomb say you know on a field it would probably have less of an impact if you dropped it in the middle of central London where a lot of people lived so the main points of, I guess, contention when we're thinking about race relations during World War Two in Britain are not going to really be in big cities. Although, if you remember back to the episode, um, I think it was called Races Riot, when we thought about the 1919 riots in Cardiff. Obviously, um, in the context of Wales, that is a big city. Um, no tea, no shade. Um, but yeah, so in some, some situations, in some cases, race riots um, during periods of conflict did happen in in bigger cities but in the case of world war ii um that was a little bit less likely at this point i do want to take a little moment to give a um, shout out and a thank you um to a listener called chastity um she commented on an instagram post i think the original one where i was like oh we're going to be doing african-american and black british history this month um and she said are you going to be talking about the battle of bamba bridge and it was something i'd heard of but not something i'd researched in depth um but i did want to do an episode about war because I think it's just as I said the, the moment in history where we have the most kind of African-Americans on British soil you've got American racism meets British racism who wins who gets to be the most racist it's a big battle um, and so thank you for alerting me to the Battle of Bamber Bridge and reminding me of it because it fits perfectly into my not wanting to focus on London little idea and also you know it fits into this narrative um, where we're talking about war so thank you so much for that and honestly 
if you're listening now and you're thinking, oh, I would love if you could do an episode on whatever it is you want me to do an episode on, just let me know. Um, I might not be able to do it, like, in the next few weeks because um, I tend to plan my episodes quite far ahead just because if you don't, it gets to a Saturday or a Sunday and I don't have a clue what I'm going to record. Um, so yeah, and if you have sent me a request and I've said I'm going to do it, I am definitely going to do it. There's a few that are coming up next month, um, and in April, that's how far ahead I plan. Um, but they are coming. So please, um, yeah, be patient with me, but feel free also to send any requests of any topics that you'd like to hear about. Um, and even if I can't do them as a full episode, maybe I'll be able to put them into a reel (laughs) because if you follow me on Instagram, you will know how much I have enjoyed my reels. (laughs) Okay, let's just set the scene, give a little bit of context for anyone who isn't too sure about what World War II is or needs a recap, because I feel like, you know, there are a lot of topics in history that we take for granted that everyone just knows everything about. Um, I do that sometimes, but World War II, obviously a global conflict. Essentially, Britain are against Germany, if we want to really simplify it. Um, You've got the Allies who are back in Britain and they include France, although France kind of falls quite um, midway into the war. Um, They are just overcome by the Germans, so they aren't really a great help anymore. Um, We've got the Americans who come in a little bit later into the war. World War II started in 1939, ended in 1945, just if you want to get your mind into the context, we're in the 40s, the late 30s, early 40s. Um, yeah, so you've got America, you've got um, the USSR, um, who are also allies. Um, and then on the side of Germany, you have um, Italy, I believe, and I think Japan, they were a big force because obviously, you know, the war kind of ends with Europe kind of finishing off and America and Japan going at it and America ending up dropping two atomic bombs on Japan um that is a that's a that's not even this podcast that's a whole nother episode a whole nother podcast a whole different oh mind frame and time time space for that um but yeah that's the context um so we've got America coming into the war a little bit later on it starts you know in Europe but it is a global war you have regiments in Africa you have regiments from the Caribbean so many Caribbean islands paid ridiculous sums of money to help um the armed forces in britain fund um whether that be aircrafts for the raf or different kinds of ammunition or fuel or there was so much money given to britain from the caribbean colonies um to help support the war effort and obviously they also gave men and women um in the form of raf workers in the women's cases they worked for the ats which was the auxiliary territorial service and they were obviously in the army there was a west indian regiment um yeah they also came i think there was a honduras regiment of foresters i think they're called the honduras forestry regiment and they came and they literally went to scotland and they helped to cut down trees and like work on the kind of lands in Scotland but they were literally the amount of manpower needed for this war it got to a point where you know on the case in the case of the British um there was a lot of like "Mm, we we cannot accept coloured women for service during this war there was a lot of that from the uh, war office um but it quickly went away because they realized how much manpower they were going to need during this conflict. Now, my previous research on World War II has been from the angle of um, Caribbean regiments 
and the experience of Caribbean women, especially um, during World War Two. That was one of my dissertation chapters. And so I have the, I guess, pleasure of seeing it from two sides of the idea that, first of all, um, you know, there were British people um, that were volunteering for service with many motivations and intentions, mostly to fight for king and country. Um, you know, it was the ultimate sacrifice, um, that kind of rhetoric. Whereas in the Caribbean, there is an element on top of that kind of idea of fighting for king and country. It's also supporting the motherland. Um, that came up quite a lot in interviews done with um, people that ex-service men and women from the Caribbean. But also the opportunities that it could provide, um, the skills that they could learn and gather during war, which they could then go back to their home countries or afterwards move to Britain and use said skills. And so a lot of the Caribbean regiments that obviously would have been uh, recruited in the Caribbean to get to Britain um, by boat they would have gone via America and a lot of the time they did training in America and a lot of the comments made by the British recruiters um, were that you know when we go to America we don't want to offend the Americans so you know if you're black you know if, you, if there's segregation in the state you're in you need to follow that um, don't kind of offend them because we need them in the war and I think, I used to think that the British were quite cowardly because they were, like, pandering constantly to the Americans' racism, the colour bar that they upheld, segregation and Jim Crow, and enforcing that onto their officers if they were black or white, whether they were from the Caribbean, from Britain or from um, America. And I always thought that was quite cowardly. But the more I think about it and the more I research into it, I feel like... They weren't against necessarily the racism in America um, and the state legislated racism that existed. I think if they were, they would have said something or done something more. And I know it was a conflict at the time and it's not really maybe the time during war to be questioning people that are supporting you. Um, but yeah, the more I think about it, I know that the war office held these views as well. They didn't necessarily want to see forces integrated they wanted the separatism, they believed in the superiority of white men and so they weren't really too kind of far off from America in their views. Now this is all extremely extra wild because when you think about the war they're fighting against Hitler and Nazi Germany which we all know is that war is told to us as if it was this big moral dilemma that Britain were fighting against the Nazi atrocities um, that they were committing towards uh, Jewish people and political prisoners and gypsies and Roma and black people and homosexual people and anyone that just wasn't a Nazi and not fitting into that Aryan ideology of white supremacy. Yeah, we're, we're told that it was a war of, you know, we're fighting the fascists, we're fighting their extreme views were fighting the kind of immoralness of what they are doing yet you at home are doing things in the name of the same form of racism but towards black people instead and fair enough they didn't take it to the level that Nazi Germany got to the horrific um, holocaust and you know concentration camps and the final solution and all that however you know, in America, black men are being lynched on a daily basis. Um, in Britain, you know, it's it's not much better, although as we've kind of discussed, um, Britain's racism can be uh, quite covert a lot of the time and quite subtle and a little bit more institutional. And so I often find that such a huge paradox that 
that Britain kind of bang on about fighting this war and fighting the fascists and then, you know, at home they weren't doing much better. Um, but yeah, I guess that is... <laughs> That is Britain for you. To add on to that, just, just because why not, we're here now. Um, this idea that during this exact time that, you know, we're fighting, Britain are fighting Germany, um, America are obviously allies. Um, in the southern states of America, there were literal black GIs, um, and these are the people that are fighting in the um, American army. These people are being refused service in bars, in restaurants, in southern states because of segregation and Jim Crow. But in the same exact states, German prisoners of war, the actual enemy, those that were literally commissioned, paid, their job was to kill American soldiers, British soldiers, and to forward the movement of Nazism they are being served. They are prisoners of war, don't get me wrong, I don't believe they should be treated any way um, like negatively or horribly, but I feel the fact that you have black American soldiers that are giving up their lives, potentially putting them their lives, their livelihoods um, and that of their families at risk to fight for, you know, America, yet they aren't even allowed to be served because of the colour of their skin. But the whiteness of those German prisoners of prisoners of war supersedes the fact that they were and kind of in ways are the enemy um they had better treatment preferential treatment um to american soldiers when you think about it ugh, it's crazy to me um and in this context of america washington they blame the southern states and for the racism and you know it's just it's what's happening in the south it's jim crow it's that's what it is and britain blamed america because that was easy you know we don't want to offend the americans whatever they say we'll just do it um and the same thing occurred like wherever american troops would go so white american troops in the caribbean they demanded to be served first they'd often use the n-word they were quite derogatory towards the locals and the, a lot of the time there were clashes, especially in Jamaica. Of course, it would be Jamaica. Jamaican youths, they banded together um, on one occasion and rose up against the, the white American troops that were in a bar demanding to be served before other black people. And you're in Jamaica, which is a majority black country, make it make sense. But this entitlement um, of being a white American soldier and a white American man, we know we, this entitlement is, is deep-rooted and long-lasting. It still exists today. Um, they carried that with them as they travelled the world. And I think war is a very interesting time. I hate war. I think it's abominable. I think it's just so ridiculous that you're literally just killing people where you could just sit down and have a chat. I don't understand. Um, I hate war, but I really find it interesting uh, the way that the world continues or doesn't continue um, when war is on. Um, and I think we've had a lot of com comparisons during um, this pandemic to war, you know, looking out for your neighbour, you're stuck at home, you're not living the life you'd like to, um, you can't do things that you would do normally. Um, but it's interesting to kind of note the things that still happen in like now a pandemic or back then during a war um, and racism was one of them and it's the same in this pandemic you know it's manifested itself in different ways but it still exists so let us move on to Britain what was happening in Britain we've got all these black people black troops American troops everybody is in Britain let's let's talk let's think about what happened so 
for this little part of the um, podcast today, I read an article. Look at me go. No, I um I read a really good article that I would actually recommend um, if you can access it. One thing I've realised is I'm not going to be a student or registered as a student for much longer because I'm not one. Um, and I use a lot of articles that are like on the like JSTOR or TNF, whatever, that require institutional access. And I've just realised, like, well, I've not just realised, I've known this, but academia is so inaccessible. All of these articles that all of these historians are writing that are all really good and groundbreaking and making all the points, they aren't available for all the peoples to read. And I'm even thinking I'm going to recommend this article and, like, unless you're at university or someone can give you a login or you pay for a membership, then you can't even read this article and it's such a big problem in academia. Like, this work is not disseminated down for people to read outside of the wonderful ivory walls of those ivory towers, um, as they're often referred to. Anyway, article is Neil... It's by Neil A. Wynn. Win spelt W-Y-N-N, and it's called Race War, Black American GIs and West Indians in Britain during the Second World War. Really enjoyed this article. Um, we'll be using a lot of the facts I refreshed my mind and learnt on during this episode. And also, since I'm here, I thought I'd also speak about another author that I read a lot during my dissertation, um, but didn't really do an episode particularly about his texts um, but they did come up um, and that is Stephen Bourne who looks a lot at the contribution of black soldiers um, especially from the Caribbean in Britain and also in the colonies and also African soldiers and African-American um, soldiers too he covers a lot um, and his texts he has a text he has I think a few I think three one of them is called um, Black Poppies, and it's Britain's black community in the Great War. Um, he has Under Fire, Black Britain in Wartime, 1939 to 1945, and then Mother Country, Britain's black community and the home front, 1939 to 1945, and the Motherland Calls as well, um, which is the one I really, really enjoyed. Um, and also he has he um, is really good at including um, LGBT community into his work and he has a text a book called Fighting Proud um, which is the untold stories of gay men who served in the two world wars um, which is obviously something that I haven't even spoken about I don't think I've ever brought on um, any queer histories on this podcast um, I don't have the range um, maybe one day I will um, or I'll have an appropriate guest who can speak on these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, he's a really great historian because he isn't just speaking about white men fighting in wars, which is obviously important because a lot of white men fought in World War Two, but they aren't the only people that fought. And sometimes I think this country forgets that. So, right, back to the text um, by Neil A. Wynn. Some facts for you. 130,000 African-Americans found themselves in Britain at various points during World War Two. Three million US service personnel came to Britain during the dates of World War II, um, mostly from 1942 onwards, and mostly they were black GIs. Um, and because of this, the Ministry of Information in 1943 actually issued a film. The Ministry of Information, they did a lot during World War II, a lot of films to either um, boost the war effort and get people to volunteer in Britain or to acclimatise those soldiers that were coming from abroad 
In this case, the film was called Welcome to Britain and it was to educate and inform the GIs on the cultural differences um, in Britain. And one of the main things, I spoke about this last episode, Britain and their pubs, it was in the film that, you know, British people, they'd call the theatre, the American theatre, the cinema in Britain. Um, However, the place of recreation was the pub. Um, British people of the pub and that was in the film so it was really kind of all the stereotypes I guess you think about being British compared to being American so maybe words that were used or phrases or the fact that British people are quite reserved I think that was a big one because um, it was quite commonly thought that British people were rude but actually they just aren't you know as oversharing well see I say that coming from the perspective of living in Britain but Americans can be quite the oversharers um, and they're quite you know open with their emotions and their feelings and happy to tell you their life story at a moment's notice whereas British people it take probably a few drinks in the pub to, to get to that level um, but yeah that film I think suggests the magnitude and the the numbers of of black GIs and not black just black GIs US service personnel that were coming over to the British Isles and needed to be educated about what their experience could be like just to make it as smooth a transition as possible. So as we get into the Battle of Bamber Bridge just for context by 1943 there were 68 different riots um, that had occurred in or around military camps in Britain um, UK in the UK, the heaviest concentrations of soldiers and US personnel were in the southwest, the east, and the northwest. As I said, not really in any of the major big cities. Um, however, because of this, I think any migration of of black and maybe Asian people that would have occurred before the war or as a result of World War One. They wouldn't. The people that were now affected by these migrations due to the war would not have been people that were privy to living with or living around uh, black and Asian people. And so we're speaking about kind of villages like Lancashire, really small towns, um, Tewkesbury, those kinds of areas, um, Taunton. And so, yeah, um, I think it's a different experience to maybe when we think about post-war racism because at the end of the day all these soldiers were here to fight for Britain and I think there was a level of acceptance of that whilst there was still a lot of racism you know as we've said there were 68 riots there was clearly a substantial amount of racism and racial problems and tensions there was an understanding I would say with a lot of British people that you know these soldiers are here to fight for us for you they are here to make the situation go away as quickly as possible by defeating the enemy, Hitler. And so I think racism was probably kind of ebbed a little bit. And a lot of the Windrush generation that then came over after the war were quite surprised at how people's tone, their attitudes towards them as black men and women had changed because during the war they were all kind of more welcoming and more friendly. As I said, that doesn't negate from the fact that there were still racist people, there was they still made racist comments, there were still racist policies, people still tried to enforce segregation in their little pubs or restaurants or hotels or whatever they owned. But it was substantially less, or notably less, shall we say, than after the war. So during the Second World War, Bamber Bridge, which was an area in Lancashire, they hosted a lot of American servicemen from the 1,511th Quartermaster Truck Regiment, part of the 8th Air Force, um, and their base was situated in Bamber Bridge, and it was Air Force Station 569, um, and they were a squadron of the Royal Air Force Air Cadets. Um, And, yeah, so 
they were also accompanied by US military police um, who would... Military police would kind of police the soldiers in their new, like, landing spots or their new places of of, of living, essentially. Um, and so they would have to obey the law of the US Army or Royal Air Force or whatever. Whatever squadron, regiment they came from, they would have their laws and the military police would enforce them. And so one of their laws was segregation. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, Britain let them do that, because why not? Um, don't offend the Americans. Um, and I think following on from um, an event in Detroit in 1943, the Detroit race riots, um, I think America was quite scared that these riots would be replicated. The military police were definitely afraid. It was literally like three, four days after these riots. Um, I will let you have a Google of them in your own time, because I don't want this podcast to be seven hours long. Um, yeah, so those riots existed, occurred, and then a few days later, um, laws were passed in Bamber Bridge um, that some places would have to be segregated. Now, we are talking about a specific regiment that is at Bamber Bridge, and the US Armed Forces are racially segregated. Um, and so the soldiers of that 1511 quartermaster truck were almost entirely black. However, only one of the officers um, were black and the rest were white and all the uh, military police, the MPs, they were all white as well. So it's interesting. You've got a whole heap of black soldiers being uh, policed and being led by white men, white soldiers um, and white commanders. Um, this uh, service unit was seen as a dumping ground for less competent officers. So the officers leading them are not only white but they're also less competent um and the leadership in that unit was known and i've read this in a few places known to be very poor and um, race racial tensions are already high as i said because of the riots in detroit detroit um they'd led to 34 deaths uh 25 black casualties i don't think any white people were arrested of course not even though um you know it was a, a riot of equal proportion you could say um it well equal so the people of uh, Bamber Bridge, they actually supported black troops. Um, and so when they did, the American commanders and the military police decided that there would be a colour bar in the town. All three pubs in the town, it's a small town, they got three pubs, they said black troops only then. They literally picked the black troops, which at first I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice of them. And then I was like, actually, you know what? If you're smart, you would pick the black troops because there's loads more of them. <laughs> there are obviously... Um, the US Armed Forces, as I said, are racially segregated. The All of the pretty much soldiers in that unit are black um, and only the officers are white in the military police. So really, numbers-wise, you know, if you're actually thinking about it from a business perspective, it makes the most sense to have the black people coming into your pub because you're going to make more money from them. They're soldiers, you know, they like to have a good time as well. But also, um, I would like to add that a lot of um, interviews done with people that lived in towns that were now inhabited by um, American soldiers often said how friendly um, the American, the African-American soldiers were, more so than the white American soldiers who were quite entitled and sometimes kind of came throwing their weight around, uh, demanding to be treated in the way that they wanted to be treated. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of the um, black troops were actually kind of 
pre- they were treated preferentially in some ways. It's weird because they were being, you know, policed by these white military police and segregation was a thing and obviously some British people were racist but then a lot of them weren't because at the end of the day they were fighting the war that they were happy to see them help and support and fight. So it's a, it's a very multifaceted issue. It's a it's quite a it's, there's no black and white. Lots of grey areas, I would say. Okay, so on the night of June 24th, um, several American troops from that same regiment were, you know, following the pamphlet that said British people love a pub and they were drinking with the locals at Bamba Bridge um, at the Ye Old Hob Inn, which actually is still there on Church Road. If any of you listeners are in Lancashire and want to go, well, not now, pandemic's locked down. But, um, yeah, that pub is still there. Um, I wonder if anybody has ever been past it or, you know, knows it. Um, but two passing military police were alerted uh, after soldiers inside the pub attempted to buy beer after last orders had been called. Um, so, yeah, they they were trying to, to get a drink after the last orders. You know, it's not really a crime. But military police, of course, heavy handed as usual, came in. I have such a disdain for police in the, these podcasts. Historically, yeah, no, not a fan. And it's not the Metropolitan Police today. Surprise, surprise. But... These military police don't seem to be much better. So they arrest Private Eugene Nunn for a uniform offence, a minor one at that. And then an argument broke out between the military police on one side, the African-American troops on the other, and the locals who are back in the African-American troops, which, you know, adds a bit of a dimension to it. And because, I don't know, like, you're, these military police are not, they're not British, they're Americans, and they have come to police the soldiers in Britain, but... Who's policing the locals? Who has the authority? That's my question. Um, so it must be quite an interesting dynamic, these locals that you're like, you're in their house, you know, you're in their pub, you're in their country, and you're trying to police them. But yeah, quite, a, as I said, lots of grey areas. Anyway, it escalated quite quickly. I could imagine so. It's a pub, you know, there's alcohol going around. People are probably not of completely sane mind. But... It especially escalated when um, Private Lynn M. Adams brandished a bottle at the military police, causing one of them to draw his gun. Of course, Americans, first thing they do, draw their gun. I'm sorry, I really need to start with the generalisations towards Americans. I'm sorry, but they just come so naturally to me. Anyway, um, a staff sergeant was there. He was able to, like, defuse the situation, but as the military police drove away... Private Adams, ah, he'd had enough. He hurled a bottle at their jeep. Not not ideal. I could just see it in my head now. Like, you know, and you just have had enough and you just retaliate after the moment. But it wasn't technically after the moment because the bottle actually hits the jeep. So the MPs, um, military police that is, they picked up more of their peoples, more police, and then decided to intercept the black soldiers who were on their way back to the base. So, like, the thing had died down you know he threw the bottle at the jeep things had stopped but they hadn't because in the truck in the jeep the military police were like oh we need to get back up got their back up and then they came back for the soldiers because you know they had to they just couldn't let it go so what happened next is a little bit of a debate according to the article i have taken most of my knowledge from this is not the article i mentioned before this is um, a lancashire local article um and so yeah private nun apparently may or may not have uh, punched a military police officer and that caused like violence to break out one of the military police fired his handgun um, that hit private adams in the neck and then 
it kind of just escalated. I feel like it's a bit of a mangrove nine situation where so-and-so said this was done by the police, so-and-so said a protester did that. Did he hit him? Did he punch him? We don't know. A fight broke out regardless. Um, but the soldiers, obviously, they're soldiers, they're armed, and they decided to arm themselves against the military police because they had a fear, following on from the Detroit riots, that these military police were actually just targeting black soldiers. Um, and so, you know, they wanted to protect themselves. Uh, they also wanted to make sure no civilians were harmed. Um, and I think this is quite interesting. And I think it quite kind of shows the solidarity, maybe, between the locals and the black officers um, and the black troops. So by midnight, jeep loads of military police arrived with an armoured car. Wow. Um, and it was fitted with a machine gun. Can you imagine this in a small Lancashire town, please, of Bamber Bridge outside the old pub inn, whatever it was called? Um, and British officers, they're also there. They claim that the military police actually ambushed the soldiers and a firefight began in the night, as in guns, gunfighting in a little small town in Lancashire, where we're meant to be fighting the enemy, the Germans. You're fighting each other in Lancashire. Make it make sense. This, honestly, <laughs> I love a battle. I know I find them absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, it's war. Silly that people are killing each other, shooting each other. But this, to me, is extra ridiculous because you're just fighting the wrong people, aren't you? Not that you should be fighting anyone, but you are most definitely fighting the wrong people in this situation. Yeah, the troops told the locals to stay indoors. As I mentioned, they wanted to protect them um, and they made sure they made sure that all fighting ended by 4 a.m. Um, and that there were like obviously no civilian casualties or none of the locals were hit. Only one soldier died. Um, I say only it's one. One is too many. We know this. Um, Private William Crossland. He was killed and seven others were wounded. Private William Crossland was um, a white soldier and he was the only one killed, as I mentioned. And seven others were wounded, I believe, like four or five of them were black um, officers, soldiers, sorry. And, of course, the consequences of the violent melee. No less than 32 soldiers were found guilty. Several crimes, mutiny, seizing arms, firing upon officers um, and more at a court-martial in October 1943, so a few months later, in a nearby town. Their sentences um, were reduced following an appeal um, because they knew that the poor leadership that the officers um, in that regiment were dealt with and the obvious racism of military police. Um, they It was kind of like they weren't yeah given too hard a sentence um and also they really 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 wanted to keep this on the down low and i think that's probably why you probably haven't heard of the battle of bamber bridge because it would have really ruined the kind of solidarity and the unity that was occurring on the home front you know as the allies were coming together to fight this common enemy of germany and so this idea that if we publicize what has happened if we talk too much about it um, it will suggest that there are divisions and, and factions within within the Allies and that wouldn't have been seen to be good. So, of course, it was hush-hush, um, it was swept under the rug. But I think it is very interesting that, you know, the Jim Crow, the segregation that had occurred in America was being was causing such kind of fractions in Britain. And I think if Britain had said at the start of the war... Like, you're not doing this here. You cannot. It's simple as, because we have black people here. We have black soldiers from the West Indies, from Africa, from all these countries. 
you're not doing this here, I think America would have had to have obliged. They would have had to have listened or they would just not have been part of the war. Um, that, yeah, that would have had a whole different outcome maybe. Um, but I genuinely believe that Britain were fine and okay with the racism that America brought with them. Um, I don't think they were necessarily opposed to it. And by Britain in this context, I mean the powers that be, the government systems in place, not the locals who clearly in this case, you know, supported uh, the black soldiers um, and understood what was what was really going on. Um, so that was a Battle of Bamber Bridge and it wasn't the only battle. There were riots. Um, I think there were like in 1943, I said, yeah, there were like 68 different clashes and riots and most of them were like kept kept under wraps, kept very quiet and hush hush. Um, but I don't know if anybody's watched Small Island, um, either the BBC adaptation or read the book or watched maybe the National Theatre production of it, which was absolutely incredible. Best theatre I think I've ever seen in my whole life. Maybe because Small Island is literally one of my favourite books. But I always remember the scene where I think, I think it's Gilbert Joseph Roberts, yeah, um, who is Hortense's husband, yeah. Um, he is in Britain in a small town that I don't remember the name of, um, but it's where he encounters American, white American um, GIs or whoever they are, soldiers, and he they try to basically enforce their little Jim Crow segregation, but he is Jamaican, he's not, you know, he's heard of obviously Jim Crow, he knows about segregation in America, but he's out in Britain now, like, what are you doing? Um, and they try to, you know, kind of say, you're inferior i think in it's different in the book the play and the film like it's a different scene but in all of them um they all equate to this like white american soldier telling this jamaican um soldier where he can and can't go what he can and can't do um and putting him in a position of inferiority and i think it kind of perfectly sums up the situation that was happening um during the war because it was like white America trying to enforce their uh, racist policies and ideologies all around the world whilst fighting a fascist, make it make sense, and then Britain kind of passively allowing them to do so, but also secretly happy that they're doing it so that Britain can just say, oh, we don't want to offend the Americans at the same time. And then black officers across the world are, yes, confused because you know, happy that we're out of America as African-Americans, maybe because in Britain, the locals are treating us better than we would be treated by locals in America. But then you've got the addition of West Indian soldiers who are now confused because they aren't, America is not, they're not colonised by America. They don't answer to America in any way, shape or form. And they're not fighting this war for America now telling them what to do. Um, And yeah, I just think that kind of really sums up war um, and that crossing of, of American racism and, and Britain's passivity, if that's, is that a word? I think it is. Um, and yeah, they're just passive nature towards American racism and I guess being complicit in the system because they weren't trying to stamp it out. But that is all I have time for today. Um, that's quite a long episode because I guess war is quite a lengthy topic when you think about it. But I hope you've enjoyed that episode and I hope you have a wonderful week. Um, despite what's going on and what you're having to do. Um, yeah, I hope that this week will be wonderful and you'll be blessed. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, follow, subscribe on all the platforms and enjoy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.